0: Before we start, here's an Easter special offer from our sponsors. Buy a drone pilot vis vest and receive your first name on the front free, usually $45 including name. Buy for $35 using podcast as a coupon code at the checkout till the 30th of April. Now let's get on with it. Welcome to an extra episode of Drone Chat, brought to you by Safe Droning Australia online safety equipment store for all drone flyers. With CASA's accreditation and registration of drones going to affect us all, let's hear the ACUO's recommendations to CASA. Well, I'm about to have a bit of a chat with uh, Brad Mason from the ACUO, and we'll get Brad to briefly tell us who and what the ACUO is, and then we're going to talk about some things that are happening with CASA at the moment and uh, changes they're looking at bringing in such as uh, uh, registration uh, and accreditation and we'll go through the process of where we're at with that so far how you going brad Good day, sean how are you yeah good brad so just briefly tell us you're, you're obviously you're the secretary at the acuo just tell us a, a brief little bit about the acuo okay
1: so the ACA was formed uh, in 2009 um, out of a, a frustration that we weren't, uh, that the operators weren't being adequately represented um, uh, across industry and so back then there was only uh, eight certified operators, seven of them got together and formed the association and we've been representing the OC operators um, ever since. Uh, We've got seven key objectives or objects uh, defined in our constitution, but the three main ones that we focus on, um, firstly, to encourage the safe and responsible use of RPAPs and the orderly growth and development of the industry, second, to act as an information resource for newcomers to the industry, and third, to promote and protect the interests of certified commercial operators.
0: Okay, so that basically leads us to our, our, our main topic of discussion today. And that is that. Casa released a, a consultation forum uh, via the, their w- website um, to comment on uh, changes they were going to suggest that come in as far as registration and certification, or sorry, I should I should say accreditation of um, people using drones. So. What we might do is I might sort of just run through some of the qu- the questions that were in that, and I know I, I sent in a reply to it. I know a lot of operators did, as did the association. So if you could just run through briefly for us on each of the questions as to sort of what the association had to say to CASA on these questions. Okay. So first of all, CASA plans to introduce a national scheme to register all drones weighing more than 250 grams to monitor the safe and lawful operation of drones. Any drones 250 grams and under are flown commercially will also need to be registered. So you basically had a choice. You could say yes or no, you agreed with that, and then if you had any comments to make. So what did the ACUO have to say?
1: Uh, Well, in in the main, we agree with the registration and accreditation system. Whilst we would prefer that excluded operators and all commercial operators were trained to the same REPL standard, um, the accreditation is at least a step in the right direction. So we're supporting that um, initiative from CASA. And we also support the registration scheme because um, there are just so many drones out there and it really comes down to responsibility, all drone operators are responsible for their own actions, and unfortunately, there are some elements out there who are not acting responsibly, and we need to address that. And we only have to look at the ATSB, um, Australian tra- uh, so Transport Bureau, and their uh, incident reporting uh, statistics to see that we've got a real problem here in Australia.
0: Okay. So the the second item on on the little consultation was CASA has exempted some drones from registration because to register every drone would be complex costly and potentially impose inconvenience on society exceeding any safety benefit.
1: Correct. <clears throat> So um, what we've said is that uh, recreational model aircraft um, are already well managed under both the uh, AMAS and MAAA uh, associations for recreational model aircraft. Um, And they have a good system. They have, uh, you know, internal training. Um, All their, uh, most of their operations are at uh, defined sites that are approved by CASA. And it's all done, you know, under a, a pretty well managed system. So we're quite happy that you know model recreational model aircraft are already adequately addressed and shouldn't require further registration. Drones, on the other hand, particularly those that aren't operated at model aircraft fields or are operated you know privately independently, then we feel that they they should be registered the same as everybody else. Now there there is another one there too in that we did ask for um, extra consideration for research and development purposes. Where you can have you know universities that are that'll have platforms that they're adding to and taking away from all the time and modifying and changing all the time you know as per their research and development um, goals, and so to register each of those or have to re-register them you know each time they make a modification, we didn't feel CASRA had addressed that pr- appropriately, and so we asked for. A, some extra consideration for those uh, research and development aspects as well.
0: Okay. So so let's let's just step away for a minute from recreational. It, it it's a given that the recreational users have to play their part and at least be registered and perhaps accredited to a certain level. What what's your feeling on say someone like myself who has an REPL and an AROC and also is the chief pilot on a REOC for a company. So should, should we be having to go through this process again?
1: Uh, no, we shouldn't, John. Um, REOC holders in particular have paid market rates, $160 an hour, which is CASA's uh, market rate for processing applications, and we've paid those figures, top market rates, to CASA to have our applications uh, processed and accepted, and all the information that the registration system is asking for registered as well. And that information is kept in a database by CASA. The information is also on uh, Schedule 1 of our um, operations manual as to which trains we operate, the serial numbers, how many, all that information that they're asking for in this new registration process has already been provided to CASA by the REOC holders, and we pay top rates for that. So our view is that this whole registration and accreditation system was originally designed to capture the parts or sectors of the market which are not currently identified. Now, if REOC holders are already identified and um, many of the excluded operators are are, are identified also in their registration process, then we, we feel that we're being put out by having to basically do, do supply all that information again and pay for it again. And we just don't think that's right. And so we've, we've, we've said to CASA that um, they should migrate the REOC database across to the new system at their own cost, not at our cost, um, at least for the first year of registration and the schedule of implementation of the registration accreditation scheme also needs to be uh, reversed. Originally, they had REOC holders as uh, coming in first, then the excluded guys and then the recreational guys last. Well, that's counterintuitive to what the um, Senate inquiry came out with and also the government response to the Senate inquiry was that we need to capture the unidentified sectors of the industry first and that's recreational and any of the excluded guys who have not already registered.
0: Okay. I I definitely agree with with, with the points you've made there, Brad. So realistically, they, they need to basically, instead of starting at the end and working back to the beginning, like what they've proposed, they should be doing it the other way. They should be starting at the beginning and capturing those that they've got no information whatsoever on and then as you said, just migrating all our details across.
1: Correct. That That's the way we see it. I mean, we can, we can understand that the, the current A- REOC database may not be in the same format that they want the new registration process to have, but that's Cass's problem, not our problem, and we shouldn't be expected to pay for it or, or to have to go through that process again when they've already got all that information up front.
0: All right. Now, one of the other things that was... Uh, mentioned by in this was the accreditation itself now CASA plans to introduce a scheme to ensure anyone 16 years of age and older flying a drone weighing more than 250 grams has the knowledge to safely and lawfully operate a drone what's what's yours and the association's view on that Brad Um, Our view is that
1: that it's correct. I mean, ideally, we would like all commercial operators to be trained to the same REPL standard as um, REOC holders are. And, you know, when you're a commercial operator, you're not just operating in a benign environment. You're operating in a very dynamic environment, often, um, you know, near or within populous areas, you know, there are a lot of, as you would appreciate, Shane yourself. There are a lot of factors yeah. to consider. It's not till you've actually done the REPL training that you realise
0: how much you didn't know. Yes, uh, I can definitely concur with you on that. That uh, I've I've come from a background where safety has been uh, fairly important, but uh, you've got to realise that it's. It's a different ball game altogether because of the environment that you're working in, and that is airspace.
1: Correct. And you're working in an airspace that is very dynamic and is being used by other manned elements, um, you know, which, you know, there's a clash there, there's an overlap, and we, we need to adequately address that from a safety perspective. And, unfortunately, there, there is too much... Uh, what would you call it, wiggle room, I guess we could call it, for want of a better word, um, for excluded operators to you know, circumvent certain regulations sometimes. Yes. I, could. I, I don't wish to speak ill of excluded operators. I'm quite sure there's a lot of um, you know, professional operators amongst them. Um, there's probably a lot of REPL holders and REOC holders amongst them as well. But we also acknowledge that there are a lot of, uh, excluded category operators who are not from an aviation background and just have no concept of the safety implications that they're, you know, that they're raising.
0: Exactly. Now, the accreditation policy aim that CASA had was for it to expire after three years. Yeah. Look, we uh, there.
1: There are a number of different views on, on the on the timeframes of the accreditation. Three years, you know, some of us felt that was a little too long because things are changing so quickly. I mean, uh, the Certificate III training, for instance, has just gone through a complete review last year. The new version will be coming out the middle of this year, and it's significantly upgraded from the old uh, Certificate III syllabus. And so there's been a lot more added just in the last 12 months. So look, as much as as much as we support um, Cass's proposed uh, accreditation scheme, we would still prefer and still believe that all commercial operators should be trained to the same standard, and we just feel that the accreditation is is going to become more a uh, an REPL light rather than a you know a bona fide training initiative.
0: Yeah, I suppose that that. That, that's an important point, which perhaps uh, the sub-2-kilo uh, operators haven't really thought about, is that, you know, they, they, they want to avoid the, the, the cost of, of becoming a, a licensed commercial operator with the RIOC, and I can sort of understand that for, for you know, financial reasons and, and for yep. time invested in going through the process. I remember <laughs> I'll say fondly to be nice <laughs> but doing uh, when I did my reoc and going through the interview process on the scenario for my test to yes. you know it's it's not a walk in the park you, you've got a scenario you've got to come up with all the right information and answers of how you do your job uh, safety assessment and, and your planning and all that sort of thing and um, but it's also, too, you know, it, it's a case of knowing that you're not going to be able to know absolutely everything, but you've got to at least know when you come across something when you don't know the answer to, you know where to go and find the answer. And, yes. And I think yes. that's that's just as important because if, if you're operating under sub two kilo and you haven't had that much training or insight into aviation, it makes it very hard to, to know whether you, you are going to be doing anything wrong. Absolutely right, Shane.
1: And this is, you know, like I said before, it's not until you've done the training uh, that you realise how much you didn't know, particularly on the operational side of things um, and, the, and, like you just said, the dynamic aspects of it that you've only got to get, you know, you might have a clear field and a clear operational area um, to start with, and you launch your drone, and all of a sudden, five minutes later, you've got dog walkers walking across your you know, your flight area or your landing spot or something. And, uh, you know, so the training teaches you how to deal with that before it happens, but also teaches you how to respond to dynamic situations um, in the safest possible way.
0: Yeah, and a lot of it just
1: comes down to planning. Yes, correct. Uh, the more work you do in that pre-planning before you launch the before you launch your drone, is going to serve you that much better when you actually put it in the air and start your operation. And we've we've always maintained, um, not so much the association, but uh, myself in particular have always maintained that um, as much as a single man operation is uh, cost efficient and and, t- and can be a little bit more time efficient. It, I've always stipulated that you need two people. You need at least someone watching the pilot's back while you're con- concentrated and focused on that drone in the air. And you can't be watching everything all at once.
0: No. I, my drone doesn't leave the ground unless my spotter is with with, with me, and that's at least one spotter. That's so, it, yeah. Depending on the circumstances. Yeah. And, and I I've, I'll always remember something... Um, that uh, someone said to me as I was going through the, uh, the process of getting my REOC, and they said to me, the key thing to remember is you've got a plan for the worst possible outcome, yep. and, uh, but you hope for the best possible outcome. That's it.
1: My, my mantra was always plan your flight and fly the plan. Yes. And it doesn't matter whether you're just going out for a fun fly or a training flight or whatever, plan it out beforehand and then fly that plan. Because too many people, particularly in the excluded category, who who haven't undertaken any formal uh, training, are all too quick to put the drone in the air and then decide how they're going to fly it and, and, and conduct the,
0: the operation or the job or whatever it is. And often that's too late. <laughs> yes, because when you thought about it at home, oh, yeah, I'll go down and put the drone up there, you had no idea what was actually down there till you got there.
1: That's it, Yeah or what the weather was like or whether there was another aircraft in the air or another drone in the air or, you know, any number of other variables that we come across daily in our commercial work.
0: Okay. So one of the last things I had on the list was you cannot register a drone unless you are 16 years of age or older. If you are flying a drone weighing more than 250 grams...
1: Yeah. Look, th- this was another uh, contentious issue. Uh, the, the the final word that Acro took was that um, it comes down to um, uh, legal responsibility. If someone under 16 has an accident, are they legally responsible for the consequences? And so what we said was that you know we, we I don't think we actually specified an age. I think we just uh, mentioned that you know the, the age should be appropriate with legal responsibility. So we, we understand, for instance, that um, you can get a PPL licence at 17 and it, there would be some legal responsibilities that go along with that. Um, whether that still applies at 16, we're not sure.
0: That's quite often the case with uh, the regulations and so forth with CASA is it's very hard sometimes to interpret what, what they actually yeah. mean isn't it it is yeah
1: and it's another aspect of your training in, in, in that you're taught how to interpret the um, aviation regulations um, properly and appropriately
0: and, if, and if, you, if you're not sure find out
1: yeah and if you're not sure there, there, there is always someone who, who does know and
0: there, there are always avenues that you can go to to find the right answer Okay, so hopefully moving forward with this, CASA will uh, come back uh, to us and go, yes, we're going to start with the recreational flyers first, then, then the sub two kilo, and then, yes, we'll perhaps migrate the information across from our reoc holders. And I mean, i have only then got to contact the reoc holders to go, is, is, this, is this information we've got correct? And if it is, great, tick it off. If it's not, then obviously update it. I mean, it, it doesn't well, sound like not, a very hard process to me. No, but if it's not
1: correct, Chain, then the operator is, has failed in their obligations to keep their information up to date and they would be pinged for it. Yes, correct. Uh, so uh, REAC holders in particular know that and know that they'll get pinged if the information is incorrect. And so they, they usually do the damnedest to make sure everything's done appropriately.
0: So what Cassa has there in their database should be up to date. Yeah, I mean it should it, it should be no 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 drama at all. No, as you said, it's just a matter of them migrating at a cross and uh, not just charging us for the sake of charging us.
1: And 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 having to supply exactly the same information again. Yes. You know, it just doesn't make sense. So hopefully we we've. we've uh, convince CASA to, um, to see things our way, but like I said, we're, we're still in a waiting game as to what they're going to come back with. Of course, the other uh, issue, very emotive issue across all that, was the costs. Um, yes. CASA had, had proposed that uh, recreational, and, uh, recreational guys would be uh, charged per the entity, whereas the commercial guys were going to be charged per drone. And at $100 per drone, that was just an obscene figure. I mean, it was just, you know, it's, it's never going to work. The RSO holders will never accept that. And so what we've said is that, uh, in all fairness, I mean, CASA did, did try to uh, justify those costs by saying that there was more surveillance emphasis on us than there is on the others, and we dispute that. We, you know, our view is that because CASA's got so much information on us that we're sitting ducks. Whereas they have, you know, no information on on some of these drone owners out there and that's the information they should be getting first Um, and in all fairness, if we're going to do this fairly across the board, CAS's justification, you know, uh, the surveillance issue we feel is the same across the board and therefore the cost should be the same across the board. So what we've said is that recreational guys should be charged a fixed fee per entity Excluder guys should be uh, do the same, and then the commercial guys will be charged per company, not per drone, and at the same rate as the other sectors.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you, you can't have uh, one one amount for for someone and another amount for that's a lot, lot, lot higher uh, for someone else. Uh, when realistically, no. the, the actual information that their sourcing or wanting to source is the same amount of information from those three different categories. Exactly, yeah. The The advantage that CASA has from the commercial operators, the, the REOC holders, is that uh, they already have even more information uh, on those than they do on the other two categories. So, yeah, it... it you know, you don't like to say it, but it sounded much like a bit of a money grab, really.
1: Well, we, we just felt, you know, from the association's perspective, after talking to you know, a lot of our members, that we were being unfairly targeted and, and we were basically paying for the other sectors.
0: Yeah, that, that's
1: exactly right. And, and that's right. just not right. That's unfair. Um, you know, if CASA needs more funds to, to do their jobs, then let's... Uh, let's lobby the government to get more funds for CASA to do that. But let's, you know, CASA shouldn't be trying to bolster their uh, financial situation by charging an unreasonable amount for our registrations.
0: Brad, I want to thank you for your time today. I appreciate you coming on. I know this is this is a hot topic out there in the industry, uh, in, in all the three different sectors of whether you be a recreational user or a or a sub two kilo or a, a, a licensed commercial reoc holder. it It is a contentious issue. that there's in some ways, I think it it's possibly caused a bit of angst between the groups and at and directed at each other's different group. and it's it's probably been just the fact that they've been scared that CASA was just going to have you know a free reign, but fortunately, through everybody having their say, including the association and backing and supporting us all in the industry, we're getting a more balanced view of, of what really should be happening. Absolutely, yep. Okay, Brad, so what what's the ACUO got planned for the rest of this year? Uh,
1: good question, Shane. <laughs>
0: um, the
1: management committee's constantly working on different aspects of this industry, um, regulations, operations, training, information uh, research and development there just seems to be no end to it you know the amount of work that still needs to be done currently we have a very heavy focus on the registration and accreditation scheme for obvious reasons uh, it's been a very emotive issue for commercial operators and we've got a clear mandate from the membership to address this issue in the strongest manner we've voiced our concerns directly at the highest levels and we're just now awaiting response from casa and we'll address that when it comes The association is also heavily involved with training issues. One of the subcommittees that we have did a very thorough review of the uh, CASA's proposed uh, Part 108 manual of standards and the training standards that were in there. And the association made a raft of recommendations to improve those training outcomes. Several of our ACRA members were also involved in a comprehensive review of the uh, Certificate 3 in Aviation for Remote Pilots, which is uh, under the auspices of Australian Industry Standards. So the Certificate 3 in Aviation is what they call a vocational education training initiative, VET training, um, and it's sort of equivalent to the REPL, although it's a little bit more involved. Um, But the Cert 3 syllabus was reviewed last year and has now been expanded to include a whole raft of new elective units for training um, with specific applications, including uh, infrastructure inspections, uh, aerial spraying, uh, search and rescue. Um, There's also a new unit of study for beyond visual line of sight operations, which will become available around the middle of the year um, as a new certificate for course of training. Now, it's hoped that that Certificate for course will eventually replace the IREX requirement for BV loss operations. But again, we're still waiting on a response from CASA for that one too. What else are we doing? Uh, We're finalising plans for a national forum later this year on unmanned traffic management. And in response to requests from our members, we're looking at providing some further guidance material on complex flight operations and the flight authorisation system. Uh, Many operators are new to this um, and they don't quite understand the risk management and the much broader situational awareness required for those complex operations. And so we're looking at putting together more guidance material and possibly even some workshops. So, yeah, look, we've got a busy year ahead of us. Um, that's on top of, you know, whatever else casts has at us.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're good at pulling things out of the cupboard, aren't they? Uh, they can be sometimes, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so this drone chat forum, what sort of subjects or concepts or ideas you'd like to see us discuss here on podcast and sort of the reasons why you think they should be up for, for discussion?
1: Okay, Um Obviously, there are you know endless amount of subjects that we could be discussing here um, and and maybe of interest to uh, to your listeners. Um, a couple that I come up with that might generate broader discussions, um, industry best practices or professional standards of operation, um, discussing and defining what we consider to be professional industry best practices. We could probably dedicate a whole podcasts to individual things like operator safety standards and safety equipment on site. You know, what are the best and safest battery transport or carriage methods that people use? Is everyone aware of the carriage limitations on passenger aircraft? What do people realistically consider to be the maximum B-loss range for various platforms? And things like uh, operator minimum equipment requirements at the RPS. You know, does everyone carry a fire extinguisher and a first aid kit and PPE equipment and that sort of thing? You know, what what... What are the industry best practices and standards that people are using or adopting? I particularly, um, Sorry, go on. Yeah, oh, look, uh, another one would be uh, risk management systems. Um, as we know, there are, there are different uh, risk management systems in use. We've got the default CASA matrix in the general ops manual. Uh, a lot of people tend to use that by default. Um, but there's the common uh, ISO 31000 risk management standard, which is what most uh, companies and businesses use in one form or another. There's now also a very specific RPAS system now too called um, JARIS, the SORA, the Specific Operations Risk Assessment from JARIS. So depending on what applications you're, you're doing and, and how you're using your, uh, your systems, may have some bearing on the different risk management systems that you use. Obviously, if you're looking at doing complex flight operations and seeking flight authorisations from CASA to operating controlled airspace or, you know, within those uh, controlled aerodrome environments, then you're probably going to have to look at the JARASORA standard rather than the other two. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah, a discussion around uh, risk management systems, uh, find out what everyone's doing, using, uh, how, how they're faring with those systems and whether or not they're working and whether or not we need to make changes or adopt a different one. Um, another issue, privacy related to photo and data capture. Does everyone have a privacy policy or do they apply privacy standards in their work? And if so, how do they apply them? Are they pre-op or post-op or both? Or you know, I would think there's probably a lot of operators out there who don't have a privacy policy in their documentation. And if you're capturing things like you know happy snaps of real estate agents and, and that sort of material, then you really should have a privacy policy in your in your documentation. But you know, another good one for discussion, I would have thought.
0: Um, training
1: standards are always uh, a hot topic. Particularly for the commercial operators, you know, we we, we would like to see the excluded operators uh, all trained to the REPL standard. But you know, failing that, uh, we've got the accreditation proposal from CASA. Um, how can we encourage excluded operators to to take up formal REPL training? Another one on the training standards: uh, developing a chief remote pilot training syllabus. Um, wouldn't wouldn't so much apply to owner operator uh, businesses but uh, certainly for large government sector operators and companies who provide an reoc service to independent operators had how, how do those chief remote pilots manage multiple teams
0: good point very good point i also like the one you mentioned about um on-site safety equipment
1: yeah well uh, you know look i've worked with i've been in this game nearly 20 years now when we started out, we had to specify in our operations manual the minimum equipment uh, that was kept at the RPS um, for uh, safety and emergency uh, reasons. And so our list ran to nearly 20 items, you know, fire extinguishers, first aid kit, sunscreen, hats, radios, you know, on and on it went. And that was all kept in a Pelican case and, you know, went everywhere the, the operations team went. Um, but I've noticed, you know, in more recent years, I've you know come across uh, operators more and more these days at, at their work and I don't see a fire extinguisher, I don't see a first aid kit, I don't even see any signs, you know, <laughs> and I'm starting to wonder, you know, are some of these people applying appropriate safety standards and and the right safety equipment on site.
0: Look, I, I I agree with you very much on that point. And it to me it, it it's not just because you're operating uh, an RPAS. I mean my understanding of the workplace health and safety regulations is that in any work environment or any person conducting a business and if you're flying a drone commercially either excluded or as a REOC holder, and and you're conducting a business you are supposed to have a workplace health and safety policy manual and you're supposed to have a safety kit depending on the requirements for for the job or task that you're performing which yep. those items you mentioned and probably a few more should be you know mandatory and available uh, to every on every operation but with every operator
1: Yep, that's my view. I mean, no matter how small a job, you know, even the smallest, you know, real estate job, um, should still require at least, as a minimum, some signage. You know, if yes. you're, you, know, particularly operating from a footpath or a road or something like that, it's not enough to say I will maintain thirty meter distance from the public because quite often you get the public will just walk into your area. Yes. Particularly if it's not signposted. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and if you're using something like a public park or or a public um, public space, public grounds, then you have no right to stop the public from using it unless you've been given written authority to do so from the council or something.
0: Yes, and I mean that that to me even uh, equates to in the Morton Bay Shire, for example. Uh, yep. I know that they've. The council has has been proactive, which is good, after consultation uh, with a number of uh, drone groups in the area. And they've actually designated certain places where, yes, you can launch your drone from this council land and and fly around the the sporting complex or or the park or whatever it is, so you've got a, a, a good, safe environment to work at. But just because you go down there with your drone and the council says you can, doesn't mean you shouldn't have signage up saying, "Hey, there's a drone operation going on here," even if it's not yeah. commercial, even yeah. if it's just recreational. You, you yeah. have a duty of care.
1: Absolutely. And 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 it's uh, we just what we're seeing, unfortunately, with the uh, with the way CASA amended the regulations in 2016 is that we've got. A whole group of operators out there now, not from an aviation background, don't always have, you know, a solid concept of what constitutes good safety.
0: Well, um, looks like looks like we've got a quite a few interesting podcasts coming up, then, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, so
1: look, you know, there's a few things to uh, to kick off some discussions. Um, another one, a similar one, is uh, maintenance and airworthiness standards. You know, it's, it's one issue that's uh, basically been largely overlooked, particularly on the small stuff. Um, airworthiness standards don't generally apply to small RPAS. They only generally apply to large RPAS, over 150 kilos. Um, but EASA in Europe, for instance, are going to, you know, in the, sometime in the future, will be bringing in minimum airworthiness standards for all classes of drones, even recreational stuff. And so you'll find in Europe in a few years' time that uh, all manufacturers will have to uh, limit how far the drone can operate vertically and horizontally. Um, You know, we don't have those limitations here, but we should be talking about and looking at what maintenance and airworthiness standards should be applying, particularly if we want to be operating in some of the more complex areas, like, you know, over populous areas, for instance, that's when it becomes, you know, entirely pertinent that we need to be coming up with those standards.
0: Indeed. All right, well, thanks for your time once again, Brad, and uh, look forward to chatting to you in the future. Thanks, Shane. My pleasure. Next time, we feature Jerry Grayson, who has ventured into drones after piloting helicopters with the Royal Navy. And as a rescue and film pilot, hear some of his extraordinary tales from famous movies and actors to the Olympics, World Cups, flying in Kuwait. He shares stories along with why drones in film are becoming increasingly utilised and why he now passes on to others his skills and passion. Well, that's all for this episode. If you haven't already, please think about subscribing to Drone Chat. You can email us with suggestions and questions to dronechat at droningAustralia.com.au Give us a Facebook like at Safe Droning Australia and visit our website for all your drone safety equipment. I'm Shane Adamson. Until next time, happy and safe flying, everyone.